Crucify My Love, book one in the Mask of the Gods series, by C.E. Dorset, read by the author. Chapter 5 The Bloodstained Rag Shinobu sat on a chair pulled out from the dining table, cradling the bloody rag that held the spectral child. Sorrow and pain emanated from the stained woven threads. Terror, panic, and helplessness melted into a singular chorus of confused loss. What monster tore that baby's flesh, killing it and leaving it to rot? A predator would have ripped the infant apart as it ate its innocent flesh. Something murdered the child. The dead returned to this village. Shinobu didn't blame them. Something damned that poor child's life before it ever had the time to start. The curate said the last team sent to investigate died at the hands of the dead. These spirits lashed out at them in blind fury to avenge their own deaths. Savagery repeated itself. Violence bred violence. These weren't simple spirits. He rubbed his thumbs on the dry linen. The spectral left a tangible object behind. No spirit carried artifacts of its former life with it, but a revenant did. After exercising a revenant, their dead body remained. What was dead, but not a ghost or revenant, that returned to torment the living? The puzzle made no sense. The dead either moved on, haunted as some type of ghost, or returned as a kind of revenant. Still, the cloth remained with all its memories of suffering and death. It manifested with the dead child. Shinobu spent most of his early childhood with the Breathless Sisters, and they worshipped Sister Death. They taught him about the Netherworld and the strange effects it had on their own. If they had a story about a ghost capable of manifesting physical objects, they not only would have told him, but they would have kept such artifacts as relics. The door opened. Chewie entered, his long brown hair pulled back in a ponytail, and his beard was tied into a point. He stopped and wiped a smudge of grease across his forehead. The black slick stood out on his golden brown skin. I'm surprised to see you here, he said in his Tudawan accent. Shinobu wilted from the expression on Chewie's face. He shared the same disappointment Hikaru wore. Nobu should have included him in his investigation last night. I am sorry, Captain Arius. He smiled apologetically at Chewie. He hoped that calling him by his maternal surname would demonstrate his contrition. According to tradition, Chewie inherited both his father's and mother's surname. Chewie's relationship with his father was fraught at the best of times. Shinobu hoped he showed him respect by not using his father's name. At least you didn't call me Captain Silva, he returned a smile. Just don't do it again. He scolded Shinobu with his deep brown eyes. What do you have there? A mystery. Shinobu explained where the cloth came from and his thoughts since. Chewie plopped into a chair next to him. An impossible cloth. He breathed, looking at it with trepidation in his eyes. 
That's the problem. This can't exist. But I'm holding it in my hands. That's not a problem, Chewie said. I pilot ships through the air. The ship is neither a bird nor a dragon. It has no wings, but it harnesses the ether to break the bonds holding it to the ground to soar through the sky. Impossible is just a word that means we haven't figured it out yet. You're right. Shinobu opened himself to the energy swirling around the cloth. I know, Chewie chuckled. You said something cannot manifest out of the ether. That's not true. The fire and wood crystals, the fuel our cure and I, precipitate from the ether. If an ether can crystallize, why couldn't it weave itself into a cloth? The Kinsei drew their swords from the ether itself. Shinobu tried to imagine a way a spectral entity could perform a similar task. The biggest problem I see in that theory is that the fabric looks, feels, and smells old. A spirit would not just have to manifest the object, but counterfeit its nature. The complexity of the operation astounds me. Could the ghost have transported the cloth from its grave? Chewie asked. Leaving its bones behind? Shinobu examined the interior of the bundle again. And all the soil in which it was buried? I could understand it leaving the dirt in the ground, but not its bones. Most specters are tied to their burial site. Essentially, they are tied to their bones. I don't see how one would leave them behind. A wraith isn't bound to anything, Chewie said and leaned forward. They're fettered to the one about to die. Shinobu dragged his eyes away from the rags and locked eyes with Chewie. He wore the same expression of concern on his face. If the child were a wraith, Shinobu said, then it forewarns my death. Given what the curate said about the last Sawyer team to investigate the days of the dead, all but one died. The last one fled the village. I hate to even ask. Chewie fell back in his seat. How long did he live after reporting back? The curate didn't say, and I didn't ask. While the possibility of a wraith manifesting the cloth was remote, it fit the known pattern of attacks. He needed to get more information from Abbott soon. His life might depend on it. Shinobu and Chui shared stories about wraiths they picked up over the years. They all followed the same pattern. The victims ranged from criminals who deserved their fate to innocent people whose deaths inevitably followed. In every tale, the target witnessed the wraith, which sometimes spoke to him, but not always. The recipient often died within the next two days, but some survived up to a month. None of the stories told of survivors. Shinobu shrugged off that fatality rate. His kinship with death spanned his whole life. This wasn't the type of game she would play with him. Besides, a story about a ghost presaging death and not claiming its victim made a poor story. No one would share them, and they would be forgotten. After talking for over an hour, Hikaru returned to the cottage. The Endless Brothers will bless the door this afternoon, Hikaru said and set a basket of winter squash and some strange purple-leafed vegetables on the table. Good, Shinobu said. The Days of the Dead started this morning. He explained to Hikaru about the ghost infant and everything he and Chewie discussed. Hikaru collapsed in a chair across the table from them. Now is as good time as any to leave. You're well enough to travel. Report your findings to the curate and let's go. I can't, Shinobu said. Hikaru's motives were simple. They didn't owe the people of Sans anything, and they had no connection to the village or the land. There was no reason for them to stay, risking their lives for strangers. He flirted with the idea himself, but after this morning, he couldn't entertain it anymore. 
You didn't see the terror and pain on that dead baby's face, or feel the suffering exuding from it. I have to stay, but I can't ask you to join me. You and Chewie take the ship. I don't care where you go, but find somewhere nice. Come back for me in a month. This will be over by then. I don't run, Chewie said with a startling amount of finality in his voice. If I did, my own ancestors would rise from their graves to come for me. He laughed and touched his heart. Tudowan legends contained countless tales of demons born from fear, exacting revenge against those who ran from challenges. Whether they were true didn't matter. They were fun stories that distracted from the long hours of travel. And I will not leave my family, Hikaru said. I know it sounds callous, but this isn't our fight. This is the dead's fight, Shinobu said, feeling the dread from the cloth more acutely than he had before. I was able to exercise one spirit. I should be able to free the others. No one said anything for a while, but the silence spoke for them. They glanced from one to another, reading the worry and fear in each other's eyes. None of them had a clue what they faced. The uncertainty carried more danger than the undead. It would be nearly impossible to prepare for the unknown threats. Shinobu accepted the inevitability of his death. The breathless sisters told him he died before his birth, and Sister Death granted him his days to live in her service. This might be the event she saved him for. Someone stole all these souls from her, and he should return them. He didn't tell them he believed that this was his purpose. If it were, he would die when it was over. They didn't need anything else to worry about. Undead armies were more than enough for them. Besides, if he was right, there was nothing they could do to prevent his demise. His time was up, whether or not he performed his duty. So you think the dead baby was a wraith? Hikaru broke the silence. I don't know. Shinobu rubbed the back of his neck. His head ached. It fits the situation better, but not perfectly. This bloodstained cloth makes little sense. It is old and permeated with ether. Like a relic, Hikaru said. Relics collected power from the events they participated in. The Sword of Seiki gained the ability to cut through anything after Yoshinori used it to single-handedly hold off an entire Sadakal raiding party. The Shroud of Ashravad took on the power to heal most maladies during the Dark Rain Plague in Golin, because Ashravad wore it as he healed as many as he could. A baby couldn't have performed a feat capable of creating a relic, Shinobu said. If it formed from its suffering, that child must have suffered more than any other killed in the countless raids and atrocities throughout the world. It is as good a theory as any, but I can't imagine what an infant would have done to cause a relic, especially one capable of spawning a wraith or whatever it was. And I've never read about a relic capable of moving itself, Chewie said. One of us would have noticed a bloody rag in the corner of the room. The item either moved or manifested. The silence returned as they worked over the problem. Every solution presented at least one major flaw to rule it out. Exceptions existed for every rule, but not in a cluster like this one. Something else had to be going on he had either never heard of, or maybe it happened nowhere else but here. That complicated matters. Without proper evidence, he wouldn't be able to solve the problem. He only hoped when he shared his findings with the curate, he would have more information. Chapter 6 The New Moon
After about an hour of fruitless discussion, Shinobu decided he should go to the curate alone. The Sawyers could be unpredictable. If he came alone and they took him into custody, the others would be free to petition for his release or escape their capriciousness. Chewie went to the airship to ensure it was ready to take off at a moment's notice. Hikaru left to make sure Brother Tynan blessed their door before nightfall. Shinobu walked through the empty village streets, rehearsing what he would say to the Sawyers. He carried the bloodstained rag in a basket under his right arm. As he did the night before, he didn't bring a weapon with him. The soldiers might consider a weapon a sign of aggression or threat. Without it, he would be vulnerable and at their mercy. Under the shadows of the Imperial cruiser, the temperature dropped. Halberdiers guarded each of the four anchor blocks. The skiffs hovered alongside the cruiser. Shinobu focused on the halberdiers, noting their every move as he approached. While their heads never moved, their eyes tracked him. He bowed before them and kept his face low. Shinobu Zentai with important information for Curate Abbott. He stood up, avoiding eye contact. One of the halberdiers pulled something out of his pocket. He whispered something into his hand, then tossed the small coin into the air. The round hematite coin spun in the air, light flashed from it, and a small serpentine loton slithered up to the ship. It left a glittering shower of ether in its wake. After it disappeared over the edge of the cruiser, Shinobu lowered his gaze to the ground. The last thing he wanted to do was spook the Sawyers. A few minutes later, the chain slinked over the wood with a thunk and a spacious creaking. They launched a skiff. Its bottom thudded on the square, and he made out the form of three people disembarking. I meant to visit you yesterday, an unfamiliar voice with a posh Britannian accent said. Oh, do look up. I don't bite hard. Shinobu obliged and saw the other curate, Cook, flanked by his Praetorian guards. Even in the cruiser's shadow, his blonde hair and blue eyes shone bright against his pale skin. That's better. Curate Cook smiled like a predator eyeing its prey. You can call me Jared, if I can call you Shinobu. How does that sound? Good, Shinobu said in Kishani. He hoped if he pretended not to be used to speaking Sawyer Britannian, he could use that to his advantage. Thank you very much, Cook said in an accented Kishani. We can speak your language if that makes you more comfortable. Shinobu bowed. He didn't expect the curate to speak his language. It would be a great honor, he said in Britannian, stressing his accent. But we are in your country, and I need the practice. Cook tilted his head for a second, and then cleared his throat, still smirking. Very well. Anything you want to tell Curate Abbott, you can tell me. His eyes glanced at the basket under Shinobu's arm. What have you brought us? Shinobu didn't want to share the mystery with him. He didn't know what it was, but something in how Cook carried himself wasn't right. His politeness stood out as a practiced affectation. He recognized it from the way he talked to patients. This man was dangerous. He had to choose his words carefully. I promised Curate Abbott I would share anything I found with him, and I do not want to be seen as someone who doesn't keep his word. How honorable of you. Cook said honorable like it was a hot bite of food that he had to get out of his mouth before it burned him. Don't worry, I will tell him you are the source of the information. Something black swooped down from the sky and landed next to Shinobu. He jumped back. Curate Abbott stood up. He nodded at Shinobu and then glowered at Cook. I hope I didn't miss anything. No, Cook sneered. Shinobu wanted to ensure you got the information. I was about to summon you. 
Abbot flipped the hematite coin to the halberdier who sent the message. They caught it and returned it to their pocket. He smiled knowingly at Cook before he returned his attention to Shinobu. What do you have for me? He subtly stressed the word me. Shinobu handed Abbot the basket and recounted the story about the spectral child, how it appeared in the cottage, and how he exercised it. Then he explained the theories they had debunked and the others that could be plausible. So it isn't just superstition, Abbot said. Cook took the basket from Abbot and stared at the bloodstained rag. The quaestor must be apprised of the situation, he said, his hands trembling. Shinobu held in his reaction to the curate's apparent cowardice. The topic must have triggered some primordial fear in him. Take it to him, Abbot said. Shinobu and I will plan out our next steps. Cook and his guards returned to their skiff and ascended to the cruiser. Abbot waited until Cook was out of earshot. Quietly, he said, Did he ask you any questions before I arrived? Not really, Shinobu said. He told me to call him Jared. Abbot laughed. Did he now? In all the time I've known him, he never granted me permission to be so familiar. He motioned with his head in the direction of the main street that headed towards the kindly house. After they exited the shadow of the cruiser, he said, Be careful around Curate Cook. I know you trust none of us Imperial Sawyers, and you are right to be suspicious. Don't politely argue with me on that. But Cook is interested only in his career and his glory. Of course, that makes him sound like every other Imperial. Trust me, he is even more so than most. I'm not saying you have to trust me. Just believe nothing, he says. He didn't like being so blunt with a Kashani who could be a spy, but Cook intercepted the Lotan meant for him, which confirmed his suspicions about the curate. He wasn't sure what Cook planned yet. Deep down, he didn't believe that Cook had a fully calculated plot yet. Soon, that would change. He needed to fit the pieces together first. I understand, Shinobu said. His hesitation spoke of a healthy reluctance to trust him or his fellows. If he met the Thornkin under any other circumstances, he would have quashed that hesitation. These weren't ordinary times. Rumors spiraled around the Imperial Court, but now wasn't the time to worry about that. He pushed the thoughts from his mind. The situation in Sans was more important at the moment. They approached the kindly house. It resembled many he had seen before. Three gates opened in the fence surrounding the grounds. They brought the bodies of the dead to the middle one which is why they called it the Lich Gate. Larger than the other two, it stood on six white marble pillars, three on either side of a marble plinth where the body, and later the coffin, would rest until internment. At least six people could stand on either side under the shelter of the roof. On either side of the Lich Gate were twin circular stone gates. At most kindly houses, they marked the right the Gate of Her Grace, and the left the Gate of Her Fury. Neither of these gates bore any markings to distinguish them from the other. To be safe and respectful, Abbot led them through the right gate. Have you told the brothers what happened yet? Abbot asked. I came to you first, Shinobu said deferentially. Abbot stopped walking. Don't do that. He steeled his voice. If we are going to make it out of this alive, we don't have time for all that formal nonsense. In the presence of the others, be as decorous as they expect. But when it's just the two of us, call me Jacob. I am as liable to die at the hands of the departed as you are. 
we are on the same team. He read the surprise on Shinobu's face. They didn't have time for all the ceremony and puffery that went along with it. If the official accounts of the last outbreak were reliable in the slightest, this village would soon be a war zone. Call me Nobu, Shinobu said, but not around my comrades or yours. We wouldn't want them to get the wrong idea, would we? Abbott couldn't help but smile. They took the last few steps to the main door to the circular, kindly house. Normally, a sawyer would barge in, but he was not of the kindly folk, and he didn't study the protocol while within one of their houses of the worship. He needed information about the days of the dead and would not get it if he offended them. He knocked. A balding man opened the door. What remained of his hair was white. He wore the burgundy cassock of an endless brother. Nobu bowed. Abbot did the same. Brother Tynan, may the endless grace of the kindly mother shine upon our meeting, Nobu said and stood up. Our kindly mother bless you with her grace and preserve you in her fury. Brother Tynan waved the blessing over them. He stepped out of the shrine, closing the door behind him. Master Curate, Master Healer, do you have news? Actually, Abbot said, I hoped you could help us. Our records are sparse concerning the days of the dead. Why can you tell us about them? Sons is a planned community, Brother Tynan said. The Empire built the settlement for us 21 years ago last winter and moved us as volunteer settlers. We are a good trading post. Our first autumn here, the dead rose. They terrified us. Spectres walked the streets every night for a month. But they killed no one, Abbot said. No, Brother Tynan said. We reported it, but the Empire told us they didn't have the resources to investigate local superstition. I don't blame them. It was frightening, but not dangerous. The dead didn't return for another seven years. The second haunting differed from the first. Demons joined the night. That is when the killing started. We brothers of her endless grace implored our kindly mother to save us. No one died in a home we blessed. The kindly mother's grace preserves us, Nobu said. Tynan touched his heart. Indeed, Master Healer. She saves the faithful and avenges those who wrong them. Did you report the second outbreak? Yes, Tynan said. And again, the Empire sent no one. They congratulated the Endless Brotherhood for getting control of the situation. We hadn't, but it isn't our place to question the Empire. Again, the specters vanished after a month. Seven more years passed in silence. Then the specters returned. This time, they attacked the STS Crotoan and the STS Avalon in the trade port. And the Empire dispatched a team of elementalists to investigate, Abbott said. Yes, Tynan said. They didn't fare well against the dead. Most of them are in our cemetery. We now understand that the dead return every seven years on the first new moon after the autumnal equinox and stay until the new moon returns. Abbott gazed into the sky. It was the day for the new moon. The dead baby appeared in Nobu's cottage. The rest of the dead would return tonight. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mask of the Gods. Book 1. Crucify My Love. If you would like to read along, or read ahead, the ebook and paperback are available at Amazon.com. You can find more information on the world in the series at Ashdancer.com. You can also find out more on my daily podcast, Project Shadow, available in most podcast directories, or go to ProjectShadow.com 
If you would like to support this work directly, down in the show notes you'll see a link for community support. If you click that link, you can help at the $1, $5, or $10 levels. That money helps support everything that I do, including producing more audiobooks like this. Thank you so much for your time. If you want to hit me up on Twitter, I'm C.E. Dorset. If you have any questions, comments, or topics you would like me to discuss about this book, please go to anchor.fm and download the Anchor app. Follow Mask of the Gods. And at the bottom of the screen, you'll see a button that says Voice Message. Keep it clean so I can use it on the show, and I would love to answer your questions. Again, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, don't forget to have the fun.